one thing I would say to anyone that's listening that's really important is it's hard just to look at a metric and say, oh, it's been successful or not. The whole point of personalization, and maybe even I should say automation, because going back, personalization doesn't necessarily need to be a one-to-one. Hello and welcome to Value from AI, where we explore the latest advances in AI technology for digital publishers, speaking with experts from both the business world and the technical space to give a full view of everything you need to know when it comes to personalization and recommender systems. My name is Thomas Teisel, VP Sales and Marketing at Fumol, and today we will be talking with Jody Hopperton, a British media executive with more than 15 years of experience in tech and media companies and a close collaborator of INMA, the International News and Media Association. Welcome, Jody. Thanks so much, Thomas. It's a pleasure to speak with you today. It is. It is also a pleasure for us uh, to have you for this episode uh, live from LA today <laughs> after uh, a special night with an earthquake and everything. So thank you for joining despite these circumstances. Um, tell us, uh, how has uh, 2023 been so far over there? Well, it's early days. We've had a lot of rain. It's been a crazy, crazy few weeks, actually, because we don't get a lot of rain, as I'm sure you know, in Los Angeles. So we've had floods. Now the sunshine's come out. But as I was telling you before this, we had an earthquake at 2 a.m. Um, in Malibu, which shook the whole house and woke everyone up. So crazy times in Los Angeles, crazy times in tech. You know, we just heard about Google layoffs, we've had meta layoffs. But for some reason, I do feel upbeat. I think a lot of the people I've spoken to, I feel like there's always room for smart people. We know that sometimes layoffs bring a lot of innovation. So I think it's going to be a crazy year. But, you know, maybe some good will come out of it as well. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, things are moving, <laughs> as we can see in all senses. <laughs> so, so, Jody, before we get started, um, can you maybe tell us more about uh, your role uh, at INMA and also how you, you ended up researching and studying this, this incredible topic of uh, news personalization? Because you've been quite active uh, with that topic lately. Yeah, absolutely. So for those that don't know INMA, it's the International News Media Association, and it's pretty much what it does on the tin, you know, we look at uh, international news companies around the world. We've got over 20,000 members in more than 80 countries. So it's a membership network where we share news, information and insights because the world's changing so much. So it's really been from moving from legacy over to digital. We're now seeing digital disbursement and publishing on a whole bunch of different platforms, which brings its own challenges. So what we do is we speak with our members, we speak with experts, and we distill those insights back to our members. So I run the deep dive on all things product, which is something I've always been hugely passionate about, even before product was a thing in news media. And so effectively, I spend my time talking to chief product officers and smart product people around the world and quizzing them on, on what they're doing, what they're working on. And so personalization came up as something pretty big last year. We, I have got an advisory council and almost every member of that council said, we're looking at this. So 
I started getting uh, deep into it and understanding. And now I've become a big believer that it's something that we're all going to need to look at. That's very interesting. Do you think, because we've been talking about personalization also in the news industry for quite some time, right? It's, it's, it's not a new technology as such, but we also feel like there is some sort of change in mindset of people or a higher adoption of it. Can you explain that? And you also named like personalization as a key technology for 2023. So what is changing according to you to make that technology so visible these days? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. So personalization has been around for a while, but if you speak to people who are involved in personalization early on, it wasn't easy, right? The tech wasn't really there unless you had a lot of smart people working on it. But now, you know, such as, as yourselves, there's a lot of smart tech out there that which makes personalization so much easier. You know, and I think if we go back to a newspaper, someone would buy a newspaper, they probably had some kind of affiliation, it's something they enjoyed reading, so they'd continue to buy the same one, or maybe they'd look at the front page, and you knew what you were getting, it was kind of beginning to end, but now we've got this massively fragmented distribution of news, and if you think about the sheer number of people coming to websites, well, if you're catering to your average user, maybe you're catering to no one, you and I probably have very different interests, right? We live in different parts of the world. We have different backgrounds. We're interested in different things. So if we go to the same site, we're gonna see things that appeal differently to each of us. So to me, it makes sense to some degree to try and figure out what to appeal, what to make appeal to different people, right? To, to bring them in. And I was talking to someone the other day and she said, well, if you look at what digital media does now, it makes it easy for people. You know, people don't want to do the hard work of finding out where the right content is. They want it delivered to them. And that's really what social has done, what personalization has done on other platforms. And so that's why I really think because we've seen it in all these other places, the technology is there, it's making it easier. News kind of has to jump on board to some degree. That's really uh, interesting because uh, you just mentioned different aspects of personalization, right? Uh, I think you started with the fact that we are producing a lot of content and also different content. And, and, and indeed, personalization can be of great help to use or to make all of that content discoverable. Um, but on the other side, uh, there is some kind of belief or misbelief uh, in the industry that when you apply personalization, you actually put people into filter bubbles, like always showing them the same kind of content and therefore not helping them to, to discover new content. Uh, how would you react to that, uh, to that uh, thinking? Well, I think there's this perception in the news industry and probably beyond that this is a tech thing right, that this is driven by tech and product, but personalization can only be successful if the newsroom, if editorial are heavily involved, right? It's of no one's interest to just fully personalize without thinking about those newsroom guardrails. I mean, even I spoke to someone at the New York Times, they're looking at personalization and they're, they're taking their time. But they said, you know, if we fully automate things just based on click-through rates, we're all just gonna see cute cat videos because we know that's what works, right? So 
I think it's an oversimplified view to just say we're going to go into filter bubbles. I think there's a way of working around it in a smart way to understand people, but bring people the top stories. Maybe we know where they are in a story, so we give them the next story. But we can do that in a number of different ways. You know, you can bucket the homepage. You keep the different sections on the homepage, like sports and lifestyle, but you show different content based on those individuals. I also think, I mean, filter bubbles, we've all been kind of hurt from, from social media. And we realized a few years ago how bad this can be. But for most news media companies, you're producing that content right this is content that you want out in the world these aren't bad things where you're only looking at one view so unless you're massively changing your editorial strategy of what you're writing it's not as relevant you know and, and as you know actually you can use ai to show counter views right you can actually make it work so if you're working effectively with the newsroom and technology you can really not only um combat that but you can go further and make sure that people are seeing different points of view. You're actually referring to different ways of using this technology, right? Of course, the first way everybody will think about is presenting this, this box with like recommended for you articles, but there are so many other ways to use AI to select uh, different content for different people. And I think when you're saying um, having an AI um, solution for showing uh, content that you're not used to see is also a way to increase discoverability of your content catalog. So actually, it's really about how you're using this technology and how you organize content on your page that will make this, this feeling of a filter bubble uh, strong or not on the page, right? Totally. And outside of that, you know, we've seen a lot of people really work on the user needs. Emily Goligoski wrote an amazing piece on studying user needs for two years at the Atlantic and, and what they learned. And one of the things was distract me, entertain me, mm. right? And that people need those breaks, but we can do that with personalization. Again, it's working that in. So I think it's less about the technology and more about how it's applied and thinking these things through, because you could say, okay, every fourth article, you get a cat video you get something lighter, you know. So you can actually really use it in a smart way to deliver the user needs that the different cohorts of users actually want to see without damaging content at all. But it gives them a little bit of distraction or it gives them something completely different that may entertain them or maybe something that's left field, but they'll really enjoy. So there's, there's great ways of using the technology to fulfill the editorial strategy. Do, do you have maybe, uh, maybe not, uh, a specific example of a publisher that used personalization um, and that managed to actually increase the discoverability of their content or that had a positive experience in uh, actually using it to show a different kind of content to different users? Do you have a specific example in mind that you could share? Yeah, I think one of them is actually one of your customers. I think there's, there's two that I would point to. So Shipstead in Norway, they're smart folks. I always feel like when you're looking at new technologies and things, always look at what Shipstead are doing because they're all doing great things. So they've spent a lot of work on their homepage and they've bucketed the homepage into, you know, sports and lifestyle and news. They've done a lot of work with the newsroom around this and they've done a really great job. In the same way, 
Um, Media House in the Netherlands, I know they've given a part of their homepage and certain spots to personalization, and that's who you guys have been working with. And it's interesting that both on my advisory council, so I hear them speak a little bit about this. And for Shipstead, they found the breadth of articles has been huge. And just anecdotally, things like cooking, right? This evergreen content that can come out. It doesn't matter whether you've made that hot chocolate today or that chicken casserole. Like it's as relevant next week as it is next year, as it is next month. So all of those kind of things, I think, sort of keep coming out. So if you're relying on editors, you're relying on people's memories, right? What's in there? Maybe you do a little search, whereas AI, you can train it can go further back and it's just got a much bigger breadth to pull from than someone's mind. Equally something that that Riska at Media House shared with me, <clears throat> which I don't think is off the record, is one of the things she found really interesting is that the formats changed as well. So it was ending up surfacing a little bit more video. And it wasn't necessarily surfacing a lot more video to a lot more people, but for the people that enjoyed video, it surfaced more to, and they ended up being more and more engaged. So that's also great for bottom line, right? Because ad revenues tend to be higher on video than in other places. So I think it's kind of interesting that people don't know what they're going to find, right? We know that there's some of these lessons but until you get stuck into your own content and you start running small experiments, people often just don't know what they're going to find and they're surprised. But most of them have been positive surprises, right? And learnings, they've just done it step by step. So for me, personalization is a really good way of going back and making more of your content, really getting that long tail content and making more of it. It's, it's fascinating because what you're saying about activating the long tail of content is, is something we do not often uh, promote as a benefit of personalization, right? And, and, and actually that example of evergreen content, it's, it's just true, right? When you have that AI running on all your content catalog, you have the ability to pick up an article that can be a completely new one because that would make sense. But that can also be a pretty old one because for some reason it has some um, some um, reason to uh, to be promoted uh, right now. So so it's it's yeah it's actually using all the content that you're producing and and a lot of time we also discuss with um, news publishers the amount of content that is invisible on their site, truly invisible. Users would have to scroll for three minutes before finding that content. And so it means that you are putting effort in creating the content. You are putting effort in making a nice story, but then if you're unlucky, then, then it will not be promoted uh, sufficiently on the website. And therefore that effort will not be, um, will not be profitable in a way. So, so it's also a way to make sure all the efforts you're putting in content creation uh, will meet the right audience. Yeah, 100%. It's kind of interesting, even looking at, you know, outside of this personalization and, and AI, like the Guardian a few years ago, went through this exercise of looking at some of the long tail content and things that weren't getting that many views, and they've, they've now got a magic number. But what they did is they sort of went through and desk by desk, department by department, they looked at that content, right? Why isn't it performing? Is it stuff that we believe in? 
but we're not showing it to people, right? Is it just that it's not getting in front of the right people or is it getting in front of people, but they're not reading it because there's a massive difference, right? But at the same time, you can't promote everything to everyone, right? So it's figuring out who are the right audiences and how you get that in front of them. Newsletters can be a way of doing that without using AI, right? There's some ways of doing it. AI is not the only thing, but I feel like this is this next generation, right? If you're making content, presumably you believe in it. It's something you want to be sharing with people. So getting it in front of the right audiences is of paramount importance, right? So this is a way of helping that rather than hindering. So this is something that should be pretty important to publishers because it helps them promote the right content to the right people at the right time, and maybe even in future in the right format as well. Well, that leads me to actually uh, uh, the second part of this discussion. So we've been talking about why it is useful to activate your content. But then of course, the second question is how should you use that technology? Thinking from a product perspective, right? So I think this is your main focus. So I'm curious to hear uh, your feedback on that. So imagine you have that incredible machine that is capable of telling you in real time what articles you should show to which user. Um, now imagine you are managing the, the digital product. So let's say the website, for example, how would you use um, such a technology? Uh, would you use it on the entire page but differently? Uh, so you mentioned having buckets of content. Um, would you use it uh, next to other blocks with editorial content? Like how would you actually use that technology in the best way uh, in your digital product? So I think this is a process, right? I think it's unlikely that you would just go all in and go, great, let's try it on the whole homepage. Maybe you do, and some organizations have, but I think if you look at it again from that kind of product perspective, you've got to look at what are the user needs and what are the business objectives, right? So if it's a subscription website, we might want to look at different rankers for people that we think might convert, right? And there's technologies out there that do that. Maybe it's someone's first visit, but we've got a little bit of information about them. So we want to show things that will make them come back. So you've really got to look at those user needs on what phase are they in? What part of the funnel are they in? And also what are the business needs and where, where do we want to do what, right? Early on, we might want to show more video that makes us more money. Later on, we think there's a chance of converting them we might wanna pull that lever. So I think first of all, it's really setting the foundations internally from a product perspective. Then of course, it's working with editorial to set those guardrails. You wanna set the guardrails and run some tests. Don't press go and have it live on a website without seeing some tests internally and seeing what it shows, right? This is, it's gonna be different for every single publication on the web. Right, every single one, because everyone's producing different content, they've got different audiences, they've got different ad models, different revenue models. So I think that testing period is super important. Now, if they, you test and you do it on the whole website, great. But there are some best practices you kind of want to go through. And, and I think there's going to be a lot of trial and error in this. And really looking at what other people are doing to set those foundations, I think is really important. So some practical things I mentioned, Shipstead, they've bucketed content, right? So they've said, okay, top is news. 
and then they've got maybe lifestyle, maybe sports, but they've looked at all the different areas that reflects their values, reflects them as a publication. And then within each of those, there's different rankers for different types of content. Very smart way of doing it. They pretty much went all in. Media House, who uh, spoke about, they've taken a section of the website and they've worked within that. Other people have started on the article page and looked at next reads. And I think for people out there, you've really got to go with what you and the organization feel comfortable with and make sure you test and learn from each and every stage because it's going to change. You're going to learn more. I mean, I guess one question back to you, maybe, or something that I think hasn't been figured out yet, is how you measure personalization. Because a lot of it is longer term, right? You want to improve engagement. You want people to subscribe for longer. And there are so many different factors in that. It's hard to figure out what's down to personalization and what's not because it's long term. So you can't strip out every other experiment and every other change that you want to do for two years to see what that impact has on different cohorts. So right now, the best metric is click through rate. And again, go back to cute cat videos. You know, that, that's looking, it's not just click-throughs that you're looking for, right? It's full engagement. Um, the, there's a smart publication in Switzerland that's actually looked at completion rate of the next article. So they've used it very much on the article page and next read, and then they look at completion rate for success. But I think until we figure out what the metrics are around this and how we, and if we can actually even figure out how to strip out personalization and the effect from a metrics point of view, people are gonna to have to go with their gut and have to keep going with small experiments and how comfortable they feel. Absolutely, and we know that the objectives are also changing, right? So I think maybe 10 years ago, CTR was a perfect metric because I think the entire business was relying on advertisement and so more clicks, more page views, more money, everyone is happy. Uh, but we're now in the changing towards more uh, qualitative metrics, uh, uh, such as indeed session length or uh, frequency of reading the newspaper, um, um, time spent on the website. I mean, all of that is now of equal importance to, to just clicks indeed, right? Um, the good thing with personalization is that it is based on data so you can track whatever you want. So it's more about indeed uh, having that discussion with all people involved and then agreeing on what we want to achieve. And, and that's not always an easy discussion, right? Uh, people might have different objectives. So maybe the good thing of starting a personalization experience is not only about using a new technology, it's also having that discussion with all the people uh, around the table and then agreeing on what do we want to achieve uh, and then let the AI uh, achieve it. <laughs> Totally. I mean, from a product point of view, it's quite hard to get everyone to agree. But yeah, no, having the discussion, I think, is really helpful. And the one thing I would say to anyone that's listening that's really important is it's hard just to look at a metric and say, oh, it's been successful or not. The whole point of personalization and maybe even I should say automation, because going back, personalization doesn't necessarily need to be a one to one right Absolutely. it can be things again ships did the smart folk there found that if they removed articles from the homepage that someone had already read their click-through rates went up by 10 to 12 percent that's nuts right and that's automation that's not personalization 
But if you're looking at cohorts of users and personalization, you also need to look at the metrics by cohort, right? Because maybe overall, the needles moved a tiny bit. But actually, for the cohort that converts, you know, for the people that are converting subscribers, it's massive. So it's really making sure you look at the different user groups and look at the impact on each because you're trying to do different things for different user groups. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, maybe I have a last question on, on the, the product aspect. So you said something very interesting uh, when preparing this podcast about the feeling of completion when reading a physical newspaper, right? So you're starting from the homepage uh, and then you're reading it all over and then you're happy because you've finished reading the news. Um, of course, this is it's very difficult to replicate that feeling now because first of all, you have so much content that it would be almost impossible to read all of it. And also, yeah, digital products aren't designed that way. Um, so can you tell us more about yeah, how can we eventually try to recreate that that aspect of completion or satisfaction when reading the news? And what is, according to you, the 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 best, the most modern uh, reading experience that you have uh, experienced uh, um, with digital newspapers? Because because it's also changing a lot. Oh, totally. I'm slightly obsessed with this. And I think this year I'm going to be spending a lot of work on this. So maybe let's in a year's time rediscuss this um, as I talk to more people about how they're handling it. But yeah, I mean, one thing that we've seen from the work that people like Nick Newman at the um, Reuters Institute in Oxford have done is that actually users, they feel overwhelmed. They feel like they're drowning, you know. There's a lot out there. We're finding that actually it's so bad that people are avoiding the news. And that's partly our fault because the metrics we use are all about engagement, right? Um, so I think we also really need to think about what is it we're trying to achieve? I personally would love to see someone. So Jody, here are the 10 things you need to know today, or here are the five things you need to know today. And if that's personalized, where they know where you are in a story, right? So, you know, Russia, Ukraine, how much background do you have on it? Do we need to tell you the backstory or can we tell you the latest? Earthquakes in Los Angeles. You know, is that important? Is it not? But just to, to actually have a good enough understanding of me to say, here are the five things. We're all pressed for time, right? So I think this sense of completion is something that we're going to see more and more as we're seeing this research coming in. And we know that we need to give people something where they feel good at the end, right? I still get a, a newspaper every weekend, right? I get the FT, I love it. And I also love it because I can literally put it in the recycling when I'm done. And it, this is a pleasure in that, as weird as that sounds, right? And I think people have that. And I think we're seeing it maybe from newsletters. Some people have tried with personalized newsletters. I think we're going to see more and more of it right of this this sense of completion and for me i think personalization is going to play a huge part in that because again what are the top five things are very hard to talk about on a global level they're very different to a local level right i'm interested in los angeles in london in other places i've lived right i'm also interested in australia because my brother lives there i'm interested in technology I'm not that interested in sports. The things that you're interested in are probably completely different. So I think if 
the people who find the the way to do that and have the ability to say with confidence this is what you personally need to know today i think there's an opportunity out there and i'm kind of looking forward to seeing who conquers that first well yeah same here i'm i'm, I'm uh, i've noted down to recontact you in a year time to uh, to discuss uh, to discuss this because i mean you're right right it's really at the intersection of first of all selecting the right content for everyone individually but then also distributing that content in the right format so newsletters are a great tool uh, who knows maybe next year you'll receive your ft every weekend but a special version of it specially created for you so you can also be very creative in the way you you use these recommendations and i think uh, everything we see on tiktok and spotify and, and all these this year in review these are very good ideas of like using information we have about you to to give you a service actually um in in a nice uh in a nice way so um yeah and and honestly thomas i think we as an industry talk a lot about what our users like how do they feel about personalization but realistically it's an expectation now like it, most consumers on the street don't think about it right they're used to seeing netflix spotify all of their media TikTok's a great example of just saying here's the stuff that's of interest to you they all do this like the news is the industry that doesn't and i think it's partly it scares us because of the filter bubbles but with the right editorial controls it shouldn't scare us editors should say what are the top three global stories or what are the most important things that role will not go away and should never go away but they can work in tandem. And I think that's the thing that's really, really important here. It's not about fully automating. It's about saying what's important, but how can we highlight the right important, the most important things to each individual, right? Mm. If you work for a news organization, I hope that you think that everything you do is relevant. So just make sure that it's published to the right person, I think is going to be huge. Also in the light of news avoidance, as you said, I think this is a real threat right i think people are now indeed receiving too much information too many negative information so how can we make sure that reading news is something enjoyable right it's, it gives yeah joy and and and, and happiness uh, it's not only about the content but also the way of interacting with it um i think there is a lot of a lot of uh room for improvement there and and yeah, again, who knows where we'll where we will be uh, in a year time. Uh, it, it goes back to this this idea, Thomas. Maybe this is our new business. Maybe this is something we need <laughs> together. But but in something like an email or where you've got say here's the six articles or eight articles or three articles, whatever it is. To some degree, we can actually set that. We can set people's um, mood right. We we can say we want the first one to be you know blockbuster the big news but we can have the last one as something else something fun you know we can actually again use automation to help with that it's not just about the content subject right it's also about the sentiment it's also about time of day so there's a lot we can do around this but it's going to take some work and it's going to take some trial and error mm -hmm. And, and I mean, it may sound very futuristic, but you're right. I mean, we have the right technology today to detect the sentiment in an article. So as you said, we could perfectly make sure that in our list of five recommendations, we have at least one 
positive uh, news, uh, we could also have just an entire section on the website with, with just uh, positive news. So, I mean, yeah, indeed, there is, there is a lot of things we can do um, uh, with different AI techniques um, to improve the product experience. So I'm not surprised that, that, I mean, for you looking at product initiatives that indeed personalization uh, is playing a big, a big role there. Um, my, my last, uh, uh, let's say, focus for today's podcast was on, on the users. Uh, so we've been discussing the content, how to activate it, the product, how to make sure we have a nice experience there. Uh, of course, we've been touching uh, on the, 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 the users already, but talking about the different um, generations actually reading news and different readers, uh, different users interacting with, with the product, do you think they have different expectations towards personalization? And, and do you think we should then use personalization differently uh, for different users or on different channels? I'd go one step back from that. I think different generations have entirely different ways of reading news. And I think that's a massive challenge for us as the news industry, because the storytelling that you use for Gen Z is very, very different to what you use for boomers. So personalization, again, is a really good way of getting around that because you're making sure the right things are going to the right people. So I, I think if we're going to go for Gen Z, you know, which is in the US, that's almost a quarter of the population, right? This is a big, big generational shift coming up, which I think is only just starting to get that focus. We can use personalization to get the right things in front of the right people. But again, it's going to come down to the newsrooms and editorial and business strategy, right? Is this a generation we want to go after? What cohorts within that do we want to go after? What are the differences in news gathering techniques? Do we have the right people internally to be gathering that right information? How are we sending reporters out? What are we doing at any given time to gather that information? So I think there's some real fundamental questions that news organizations need to ask themselves before then you even get into the personalization and AI side. But yeah, I think it's going to be very helpful. I think the challenge is gonna be branding because what you see on your grandparents' desk or nightstand or what they read, is that brand going to resonate with you? How do you make that brand resonate to different generations? So partly it's through the content, but partly it's through the brand. So I would hope that personalization can help with that. So you kind of get younger, fresher, more explanatory news gathering for younger generations and that it can be served in the right way. But again, I don't think I've seen anyone doing that really well yet. Mm -hmm. And also expectations. I, as I mentioned, I think we overthink the expectations. I think particularly for, for Gen Z, for millennials, they expect some degree of personalization, right? It's different than social and social. You have got the filter bubbles because it's based around everything and everyone you're interacting with. News is different because mm -hmm. you've chosen a news brand. You would hope that each of our news brands out there is giving balanced views, right? Is covering a whole range of topics. And that's where I think it's down to brand. But I do think we overthink how much consumers actually think about this stuff. I think if you go and ask someone on the street, 
about Netflix and Spotify, they'd be like, oh yeah, that's kind of clever. We get the right stuff. So I think we need to be transparent, but we don't need to over-explain. Mm-hmm. I see what you mean. It, it all boils down to the experience that they are uh, receiving and whether they like it or not. And I always refer to the example of my grandmother uh, actually using Spotify. And every morning she wakes up and then she sees on the screen, select it for you. And she truly believes that there is somebody on her selecting music for her every every single day. And, and so she loves it. She's a big fan of it. Um, but it's just, I mean, of course, she doesn't know that it's AI and, and big data and stuff like that. But it's just the experience of, of, of well, being able to find new music easily um, is, is, is just what she's expecting uh, and, and what she likes. And she doesn't need to, right? It's not important. It's not necessary. What's important for her is that she's getting this great stuff put in front of her and it's easy. Like I think for some reason, like we think that people will do the work to get there, but we've just shown that we need to spoon feed to some degree. We need to help people get to that right content and this is a way of doing it so yeah i think you're more yeah more and more right (laughs) the spoon feeding is the first time i hear that but (laughs) i think we are we are all in this war for attention so there is there is no way around that i think we need to think uh from a user perspective and make it as easy as possible we should even exaggerate that to the extreme like make it completely streamless uh, to to find new content. I think that should be the right motto for uh, for product people in, in the news industry. And this is this is goes back partly to maybe our completion. You know, sure. here's here's your five articles, but also maybe you say entertain me right now. Right? Maybe there's some different and fun things you can do that actually really bring all that together. All right, I think we could talk about this for hours, and and I think uh, we have a rendezvous for uh, in a year <laughs> to give a, an update on this conversation. Thanks a lot, Jody, for for joining today and for all these insights coming from many different publishers. I think we couldn't have found a better person than you to uh, to talk about personalization um, here with us. Um, so yeah, thanks a lot, Jody. It was really really a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed the chat. Anytime. The pleasure was ours. And and, um, and that's a wrap on this episode uh, of Value from AI. If you have any question or want to leave a comment about this episode, just follow us on Twitter at Fumal uh, and stay tuned for next episode. Thanks a lot, Jody, again. And uh, have a nice day there in uh, Los Angeles. Thanks so much. You too. Take care.